I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to another edition of the Pro Wrestling Index on the Anfield Index Podcast Network. Now, we have cooked up quite a show this week, and WWE has helped a lot. We're talking brand splits. We're talking extreme rules, answering your Twitter questions, and so much more. Thanks to everybody for listening. I'm Matt Topolsky, joined, as always, by my co-commentating colleague from across the pond, Mo Chatra. You know, Mo, it's like we have our own brand split. I'm the U.S. champion, and you're the European champion. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's titles galore. Um now that the split is imminent so uh yeah it's uh, it's all happening isn't it my head is in a spin because barely an hour passes without some more news breaking from the wwe um it's just been an incredible last several days um so much going on so much to talk about almost don't know where to begin yeah well i mean you know what best thing we can do is begin in chronological order so why don't we start with sunday extreme rules on the wwe network A lot to cover on this show. So before we get into our highlights and our low light or low moment of the night, we're going to do this with Extreme Rules and Raw. Let me first ask you, Mo, your overall impression coming away from the show, if you had to give it a letter grade or if you had to give it a brief review, what was your takeaway from Extreme Rules? I would have to give it a solid B-. Um, I thought that there were a couple of outstanding matches, the Intercontinental title match and the WWE World Heavyweight Championship match. I thought were almost as good as each other, um, but very different types of matches. Um, but they were fantastic. Um, but some of the stuff that we were served in between um, wasn't quite so great. Um, so that's what dragged it down. Had some of the other matches delivered as they should have, as they really got on paper, um, we could have even been talking in a graded show, uh, but you know, B B minus. I still thought there was plenty of positives for this one. Yeah, you know what? I, I uh, agree with you to a certain extent. I'd have to give this show maybe a C plus. You know, a B minus to a C plus somewhere in uh, in that range. It had some had some good moments. Uh, you know, some of the highlights for me and some of the things that I really enjoyed. Number one, uh, I have to say that I'm high on Rusev. I wanted the U.S. title to go around that giant waist of the Bulgarian brute, Rusev. And that's exactly what happened. And, of course, Lana being at ringside doesn't hurt either. Uh, But the U.S. title needed an injection of energy and excitement and enthusiasm. And I think you get that a hell of a lot more with Rusev 
than what we've gotten in past months from Kalisto. Uh, it'll also be interesting to see where the U.S. title and Rusev goes now that there will be a brand split. Uh, so I like that. Uh, the Miz retaining the Intercontinental Championship. For me, I think this is the right move. I think eventually that title will go around the waist of Cesaro, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn have their own feud going on. But right now, the Miz with Maurice at his side, continuing to be the Intercontinental Champion, I think is good for the Miz's character. And I think it's even better for the Intercontinental title. Charlotte defeats Natalia. There was no surprise there. Dean Ambrose and Chris Jericho. Let me get your thoughts on this matchup very quickly. So Chris Jericho takes the old Mick Foley bump on the thumbtacks. But overall, I thought this was a pretty sloppy match. What did you think? I agree. And it kind of keeps up that theme that we've seen over the last six months or so of Jericho having underwhelming matches um, where we go into the match thinking, yeah, this is going to be awesome. And we're left disappointed. And this was yet another example and possibly the most glaring example of Jericho's star having faded in terms of being a truly world-class worker. Um, Chris Jericho um, no longer has it, but in credit to him though, um, he really did need to take that bump onto the thumbtacks like he did um, at his age and with his status as uh, almost a legendary finger in the WWE. Um, you know, nobody would have expected him to do something like that. The fact he was willing to do something like that, um, you can only admire him uh, or maybe think he was very stupid. But either way, it, it was a gutsy thing to do. And uh, it was the right thing for Dean Ambrose to go over. We talked at length um, a couple of months ago about how poorly booked Ambrose was as part of his program with Brock Lesnar. And he really needs... Um, some momentum building up now. And certainly since then, and with his feud against Jericho, um, some of that momentum is slowly coming back where his career is concerned. Um, so it was the right result, um, but it just went way too long. Um, the finish was great, but the 20 minutes before that were uh, a chore to watch. A couple of quick comments on that. You know, you say it was way too long, and I'm actually looking at the times here. You know, that was the longest match of the night. I'm not exactly sure why. I know it was a gimmick match. You know, it was the asylum match, basically. So a glorified steel cage match with some weapons. But all the times in all these matches, Corbin and Ziggler, seven minutes. The club versus the Usos was eight and a half minutes. Rusev and Kalisto, nine and a half. New Day versus the VOD Villains was a six-minute match for the tag team titles. The Fatal 4-Way for the IC title, 18 minutes. Charlotte, nine and a half. Even the main event wasn't as long as this match. It went 22 minutes. This match was almost 30 minutes long. And um, I, I simply wonder why. And the other point is on Dean Ambrose. I agree with you. He needs more momentum. But I'm seeing on social media, and I'm seeing these comments, which I want to get your opinion on, from the internet wrestling community regarding Dean Ambrose. There are people out there who are saying that Dean Ambrose is doing nothing for them right now which is fascinating because since his loss to Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, all he's been doing is winning, getting one high-profile victory after another over major stars. He's done it now several times with Chris Jericho. He got a big victory on Monday night on Raw, which we'll talk about in a minute. So where do you stand on Dean Ambrose? Is he doing something for you? He is. He's been on fire. Um, I was really down about Ambrose, not against him personally. I just thought the way in which... His match turned out at WrestleMania against Brock Lesnar. Um, everything that led up to WrestleMania in the weeks before that, 
Um, for me, solidified him as mid-card for life, and I think those are my comments in our post-WrestleMania pod. Um, but since then, um, his work has been very good. His in-ring stuff has been fantastic. His promos have been on fire. Um, all the other kind of segments that he's worked have generally been of top quality. So I can't really fault his work. I thought I think he's responded fantastically well. Um, a lot of workers would have really been down about the way in which they were uh, might have been booked against Lesnar uh, in the way that Ambrose was, but he has responded magnificently, and uh, you know he, he really deserves some praise for that. And I think for people to say he's doing nothing for them, well, I don't think they're watching the show properly. I think that maybe they're on the on their smartphones, um, busy on Twitter, on watching what's actually on on the TV screen. And uh, Ambrose uh, Ambrose has been one of the stars of the WWE in the last couple of months. Yeah, and I, you know that's the whole thing too is how fickle the fan bases from time to time uh, that that's and, and this is what makes it difficult for me to make arguments on their behalf when it comes to major players in the company like Roman Reigns and and the fume that's been displayed regarding Roman Reigns push in recent months since winning the WWE championship even before that I mean this has been going on now for 18 months or longer that Roman Reigns has been groomed to be the guy and while all this has been going on, the fan base has been upset about it for one reason or another. Now, I stated on this show on the last edition of the Pro Wrestling Index that uh, the biggest reason for that, I believe, is because of his lack of authenticity, which is interesting because John Cena did an interview today talking about the reactions that he and other stars like him vis-a-vis uh, -vis Roman Reigns have been receiving. And he also said he believes it's because of a lack of authenticity, that they're not being authentic enough. But he also said that they're not allowed to be because it's a PG audience that WWE is trying to appeal to, which I also think is a mistake, by the way, uh, because I saw something recently which basically talked about the fact that even though WWE is appealing to a younger fan base today, there were more younger fans watching WWE during the Attitude Era, which was an adult-oriented product then, than there are now, which I find to be pretty fascinating. But um, – as far as I'm concerned, Dean Ambrose is in a really good place right now. And I think Dean Ambrose uh, is headed for a main event slot sometime here in the not-too-distant future. Otherwise, he wouldn't continue to get high-profile victories like this. I even see a situation uh, in the near future where he could become the Money in the Bank winner. Um, let's talk about Roman Reigns and AJ Styles then. WWE Championship main event between these two. Uh, I thought that this was a sensational match. I really enjoyed this match. Once again, AJ Styles elevating our expectations of Roman Reigns and elevating my expectations of AJ Styles. I thought you know, his performance with Roman last month was his best since coming to WWE, and this, in my mind, surpassed it. How did you feel about this match uh, and the outcome which was booked? I thought it was beautiful. <laughs> it was, it was um, AJ Styles at his best. I mean, he showed everyone exactly why we rave about him and have raved about him since long before he turned up in the WWE. Uh, his work is just sort of, you know, the very, very elite level. And there's very few workers in the entire industry that can match that level um, of performance. Um, but that's not to uh, put down Roman Reigns. I thought he was putting on the performance of his career thus far. I thought he was absolutely superb. The way he carried himself, the body language, um, he oozed world champion. You know, he had uh, 
charisma and star presence and an aura coming out of every pore. And, uh, you know, it was his most accomplished performance today. And I really thought he came across and carried himself like a, a true world champion. And, um, you know, despite the interference and all the bells and whistles, um, it really turned into an almost epic match. And uh, it was it was a fantastic match in the end. And I thought it was booked perfectly. I thought um, it kept AJ Styles strong um, despite him losing. I thought Reigns uh, was booked in, a, in, in just the right way, given his character and his role as this kind of tweener. Uh, so everything was done really well. And, um, you know, credit to WWE for laying it out and putting some good thought into it. It was very, very similar to how you might expect a, a top WrestleMania match to be booked. Um, and we saw that here in, in Extreme Rules. So it, it was thumbs up all round. Let me flip the script on you here a little bit on AJ Styles, because there are some that have argued this point. I think it's, I think it's a valid point to argue. Uh, I'm not saying that I agree with it necessarily, but AJ Styles loses to Chris Jericho at WrestleMania. AJ Styles then becomes the number one contender and finds himself in a program with Roman Reigns where he loses not once, but twice, both times clean. Then the Raw following, which uh, we'll talk about. I guess we can we can get into that next. We'll transition into Raw now. Uh, in the main event of Raw, he loses clean to Kevin Owens in the middle of the ring. Those are four high-profile losses in a row. So you say that they booked AJ Styles to continue to look strong, but there are those that are arguing that Styles is now headed for the same treatment that many of the opponents that John Cena received afterwards, which is that he's headed down the card and very quickly. How do you feel about those people that say that, about that opinion, actually? I can understand it. I mean, when the guy has a lot of losses in a short period of time, um, and clearly it will seem that, um, you know, that the company hasn't got big plans for him. But, you know, if you cast your mind back um, a few months ago, you know, somebody like Kevin Owens was suffering loss after loss after loss, and yet the company are booking him a lot better now. Um, I think it's just part of the whole initiation that AJ Styles has to go through. Um, WWE likes to do this with pretty much every talent that comes in, irrespective of how good they are. Um, and there's also the parity booking thing that we've talked about, which is why um, in his program with Chris Jericho and, and The Miz, um, you know, he suffered a fair few losses then. And, um, you know, I strongly felt that WrestleMania should have gone over Chris Jericho. Um, but nonetheless... Um, I don't think it, it's the worst thing, actually, that he lost um, against Reigns, didn't come out as a champion, and will be assuming a mid-card role uh, for the foreseeable future. And the reason I don't think that's a bad thing is because I think um, WWE rightly should focus on Rollins and Reigns as the focal point of the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. You know, that's the natural and obvious program to be booking for that for, for, for that title uh, for the time being now that Rollins is back. Um, so it's right that Styles has to um, take a back seat whilst all of that goes on, um, but try and keep his momentum building um, in the mid card and then perhaps go back to him later in the year. Obviously, something like Money in the Bat would have been an ideal way in which to keep him strong and keep the intrigue there. Um, but obviously, they're not going in that direction, as we found on Raw, as we'll talk about. Uh, but um, I, I'm sure that, you know, at a certain point in time, especially after the brand split, um, he'll be fairly prominent on one of the two rosters wherever he, wherever, wherever he ends up. So 
I've got no worries about AJ Styles. Um, his talent is too good and too strong for him to be ignored um, and to be relegated as um, a, a pure mid-carder. I think he is just too talented um, and he will rise to the top. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I think WWE sees the money there. Uh, obviously, they see it in the merchandise sales because I think he's the top or one of the top uh, three merchandise sales uh, sellers, rather, in the company since he arrived. And uh, his work continues to get better and better. Uh, and I got to say, like, I do appreciate how WWE has sort of been uh, saving or protecting the Styles Clash. So he only uses it for big moments, you know, and except for when Roman kicks out of it, of course. Uh, to a steel chair as well. Of yeah. Course. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, well, I mean, you know, there was the Uso interference there for a split second, I guess. Yes, that's right. But uh, I, it also helps when, um, you know, I've heard this. I can't take credit for this as brilliant as this is. Uh, I can't take credit for it, but I have heard this thrown around, so I'm going to start using it on this show. Uh, Roman Reigns is no longer Roman Reigns. His new name is Samoan Cena. So <laughs> that is that is the new name. So the Samoan Cena uh, has his 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 half flak jacket or his his chest protector on, um, and he's taking a Styles Clash on the chair. So no wonder why he would kick out. I mean, he's got a bulletproof vest on for God's sake. But um, uh, I do. I, I, the point I'm trying to make here is the phenomenal forearm looks awesome. I mean, this looks so good uh, in his matches. I mean, AJ has absolutely perfected this thing. It's yep. such a big moment move. And, um, you know, when we get into the brand split a little bit more, I have to remember to talk about this because I really see a future for AJ Styles with the Intercontinental or U.S. Championship, depending on where he goes. And I can see him winning it. With that phenomenal forearm, I think it'd be a great moment for him. So I have to agree with you. I, I still think there are big plans ahead for AJ Styles and WWE because uh, they can't ignore what he brings to the table. And, you know, AJ's no spring chicken. You know, they're going to get two, maybe three good years out of him um, before he hits uh, that big 4-0 number. And uh, after that, it's pretty tough to deliver the type of physicality and performances that he's delivering in the ring right now. So you got to strike while the iron is hot. You talk about Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. So the big moment from this pay-per-view that leads us into Raw is at the end of it, Roman Reigns is standing tall, successfully defending his WWE Championship once again when the crowd explodes. And who slides into the ring but Seth Rollins to deliver a pedigree and let the WWE Universe know that he is back. This was a true markout moment for me, as I'm sure it was for many of our listeners and the next night on Raw, everyone is eagerly anticipating Seth Rollins coming back to Monday Night Raw after he received a hero's welcome to the chance, not just the cheers, but the chance of thank you, Seth, for taking out Roman Reigns. And he returns to once again embrace his heel persona. Now, I remember a time, Mo, when Triple H had his quad injury. And when he returned, he went out with that injury as a heel he returned to a monster babyface reaction, similar to the reaction Seth Rollins got on Sunday. And on Monday, Seth Rollins was telling all the fans to go to hell. Was this a good idea to do it? And why would WWE go in this direction? Because WWE knows best. <laughs> they will never, ever be dictated to by their fans. Never. I mean, Never. <laughs> Good grief. Um, you know, if anyone's been paying even the slightest bit of attention to the WWE, the way it books um, and the way it really, what it really thinks of its fans, it should have been obvious, I suppose. 
um, that you know they weren't going to veer away from their big big plan to keep Roman Reigns as this face of the company, and they feel that by turning him as a full blown heel, um, he can't be um, that face of the company. And obviously, with the brand split imminent, um, you know it makes sense that somebody like Roman Reigns will be the face of one brand, and John Cena might be the face of the other brand. Um, obviously, Cena is on an almost equal footing, if not slightly higher than Roman Reigns. So it, it, it was disappointing, though, wasn't it? Because it was so obvious that all the fans really wanted to turn um, Rollins into this monster face, and um, it was evident as all hell that that's the right thing to do. But the WWE feels that it needs to prove a point to its fan base and stick with Reigns' uh, face or tweener uh, champ and that, therefore, Rollins needs to be the heel. Um, and it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see how they, how they go with this now because every week, Rollins will get a face reaction. I mean, he can slag off and criticise and mock the fans all he wants. They'll still continue to cheer him. You know, just wait till Money in the Bank... You know, they, he's going to get by far a stronger reaction than um, Roman Reigns. And there's nothing the WWE can do about it. Absolutely nothing. Um, short of, um, you know, really, really uh, risque storylines that they'll never, ever go towards because of their PG status. So given that, there's no way that um, they're going to be able to get fans to cheer um, for Roman over Seth Rollins. Um, but it, it's it's still going to be a really good feud, despite the dynamics um, around who fans boo and cheer. Um, both performers are so really, really strong. Um, you know, Rollins, we talked about prior to his injury, was arguably the best wrestler in the world, bar none. And um, it'll be interesting to see um, exactly where his level is post-injury. We'll see if the knee injury has affected his performances. Obviously, there'll be a bit of ring rust, um, but I think it won't be much time at all before he's um, you know, back into uh, prime form. And uh, as a champion, range just grows and grows. So I'm really looking forward to uh, when these two guys meet in the squared circle. How, you know, I don't want to be accused of, of being a mark here. And so I'm not going to get upset like some people on Twitter did who claimed, you know, they're not going to watch the show anymore because uh, Seth Rollins came back and he didn't turn face uh, or the other people that said, well, he turned heel. Well, he, he was heel to begin with. So, I mean, he would have to have the, the baby face turn. So I'm not going to say I'm not going to watch the show anymore because, I mean, you people are going to watch the show. You're still going to watch the show. I mean, we've been pissed off so many times. We've been disappointed so many times by WWE in the last few years. And we still watch the show. And you want to know why? Because WWE knows that. And so that's why WWE doesn't book for you. They don't book for me. They don't book for Mo. They're not booking for their most hardcore fan base. That's what NXT is for. That's what I hope SmackDown may be for. But I will tell you something. That's not what Monday Night Raw is for. That's not what the WWE title picture is for. Roman Reigns is their guy. And anybody that thinks that they're deviating from the course on this thing, anybody that thinks there's a double turn coming down the road where Seth Rollins is going to make his babyface turn and Roman is finally going to embrace the dark side, that 
possibility doesn't exist. It's not going to happen in the same way that they did this with John Cena. And for years, people speculated that John Cena would finally make the big turn. Cena's 39 years of age now, and we still haven't seen it happen. I doubt very seriously we're going to see it happen from Roman Reigns. And if they were planning on doing something like that, then why in the hell wouldn't they have done it on Monday night? It would have been the perfect opportunity for Roman Reigns to actually pick up a microphone, which is the other thing that I find interesting, and I'll, I'll elaborate on this in a minute. But for him to pick up a microphone and say, here's this guy who's been gone for months, who treated you like shit when he was here, who used the authority and their henchmen and J&J security to get victories. Meanwhile, I'm out here doing this practically on my own or with the Usos, who are also supposed to be good guys. And you guys are booing me, but you're, che you're cheering this slimy chicken shit over here. Well, you people can go to hell. But Roman Reigns didn't do that. And it would have been the perfect time for that to happen. And there's my point. Roman Reigns, the champion of the show, Mo, the guy that the show is supposed to be built around, makes one appearance for one segment and doesn't speak one word. How, how clear is it? that WWE will do anything it takes to protect this guy and this um, this static persona that he has. Well, well, we can't, we can't, we won't make him a heel. We won't embrace the organics of traditional professional wrestling, which has existed and made money forever. We're going to uh, willfully ignore our fan base. So instead, what we're going to do is we're going to make the guy just not speak. He won't even talk. He won't say anything. And then after this one segment where we hope Seth will build enough heat that everyone will forget how badly they hate Roman, Roman will just leave for the night. I mean, isn't that damaging to the title and to the show? It is. I mean, it's a comment that was made um, online or on Twitter quite recently that I think for the last several weeks now, um, the WWE world title hasn't been the focal point of the last segment on Raw and traditionally it always was and um you know again it goes back to them not wanting to it's almost about damage limitation or damage control it's damage they control they don't want to expose roman to additional abuse from the fan base that's right and i think what it all comes down to is that wwe very much sees itself having two different fan bases they've got the casual fan base that doesn't really attend um, the TV tapings and the pay-per-view tapings, um, and they are the majority. And then you've got the minority who attend these shows, the more hardcore type fans, who are a lot less, uh, you know, in favour of Roman Reigns. And uh, they, they, that, that I think must be their only logic to say, okay, this guy has to be face. This guy has to be the face of the company. And that's why we cannot, under any circumstances, um, turn him heel despite the reaction in the, in the live arenas because they're not our um, larger demographic of fans. Um, our large demographic of fans are represented by the kids and uh, the female audience who predominantly cheer for this guy in much the same way they do for Cena. So that that's their kind of mentality. And... Um, it's it's going to continue, I'm afraid. It, it won't change. Uh, we've seen it for how many years now uh, with John Cena, and it will continue for many more years with 
Roman Reigns. And I'm sure when they get another guy to come in and then they rise up to become at the level of Reigns and Cena, then chances are the fans will reject that individual and uh, will boo and the company will decide, no, we will not turn this guy heel. Um, this person will be our face of the company and um, we will book them as a face, goddammit. And, that, and that'll be the end of the story. And so the cycle will continue. And um, it's, it's something I think we'll just have to get used to, that um, the WWE will continue to ignore its fan base when, is, when, when these types is, of things. Is there, do you think their plan here is to filibuster with this type of booking long enough until the fan base that's currently our age um, stopped watching the product and the, the younger fan base uh, that still cheer for Cena and for Roman Reigns uh, get become a little bit older and nostalgia for nostalgia purposes, they continue to accept them the way somebody like myself would still accept Hulk Hogan if he returned. I mean, is that what they're planning on here? Because at some point they've got to deviate from this. Otherwise, in my mind, it continues to to cheapen the title and to cheapen the product when, you know, smart fans clearly can tell that their, their voice is being completely ignored by the company. Well, it's, um, it's really bizarre. The whole thing, isn't it? The, the way that the WWE talks about how they listen to their fans and yet they continue to ignore them. And, um, it, it does devalue the title, uh, to an extent in the, um, you know, they're going to have people as champions that um, many uh, sections of the fan base feel are not deserving of the title. Um, you know, in the past, we, we never had that kind of issue to the same extent when people like Hogan was a champion, when Brett was a champion, The Rock, Stone Cold. You didn't have large sections of the fan base booing um, because they thought that that person or that individual was not deserving of being the champion. Um, you know, that, that, that just simply didn't exist. Um, but it is partly the fact that the whole wrestling business has evolved now. Um, it's, it's more about the business side of it and about, um, what goes on behind the scenes and who's booked, um, to be the champion and who's booked as a mid card act. And fans seem to be more interested in all of that now, um, even amongst the casual section of the fan base. Um, and that's partly because, you know, WWE itself almost encourages um, all sections of the fan base to take interest in what goes on behind the scenes. So they can't suspend disbelief and um, just take the storylines at face value. Um, they all get consumed by, well, what are the ratings looking like? What, what are network subscription numbers like? So beyond just, you know, hardcore fans or people like you and I, um, you know, even casual fans are now interested in things like this. And, you know, they look at the business in that way, which uh, was absolutely not the case. Not, not even, never mind 20 years ago, not even 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, agreed 100 percent. And um, I guess the reason why this this gets my my blood pressure up a little bit is because they keep using the phrase the new era. This is the new era. You know, I, 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 I hear uh, JBL saying it constantly. Well, this is the new era, you know, and Michael Cole talking about, oh, well, you know, this is the new era. And then Byron Saxton just sits there and, well, really doesn't add anything. But, you know, they just keep talking constantly about, well, this is a new era. This is a new era. But is it? I mean, or is it a case of the more things change, the, the more they stay the same? I mean, that's that, yep. that's really my question. So let's let's turn to Raw. 
We'll pivot to Raw. Now we, we've seen Seth Rollins. We've seen nothing's going to change there. Rollins and, and Roman are in a program. It could have a tremendous more heat and excitement than it's going to have. But WWE wants to go in a different direction. So now they're getting ready for Money in the Bank. So we have these qualifying matches on Money in the Bank. Sami Zayn defeated Sheamus. Cesaro defeated The Miz. Dean Ambrose defeats Dolph Ziggler. Kevin Owens defeats AJ Styles. All of these things to me seem pretty exciting. I say, you know, wow, maybe this is a new era. And then Chris Jericho defeats Apollo Crews. <laughs> Can anyone explain to me why that happened? Because Chris Jericho is not winning the money in the bank. Chris Jericho is not the new blood. So I, that, again, was another decision that completely and totally confused me. Uh, but overall, how would you feel about um, about the qualifying matches for Money in the Bank? I, I, I Actually, I thought it was a good portion of Raw. I, I enjoyed the matches themselves. Yes, I did too. Um, you know, now we're really starting to see um, the depth of talent that WWE has. And as we see more people come through from NXT and people return from injuries, um, the depth of talent in the WWE is arguably the strongest it's ever been in terms of um, in-ring workers and be able uh, talent being able to put on really, really great matches. And, you know, it, it was really good to see, um, you know, the likes of Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn go out there and put on some pretty decent performances. Um, you know, one of the things I've criticised Raw about, certainly in the last um, six to eight months, is that um, the quality of its in-ring product hasn't been the greatest, especially compared to what it was in the first half of 2015. So it's good to see that it is improving now. And um, certainly the people that went through um, the qualifying matches, all five of them on Raw, certainly will add to uh, what should be a really, really good Money in the Bank match. And um, yeah, I, I was bemused by the fact that Chris Jericho um, went through to the through to that match. And uh, going over Apollo Crews seemed a bit strange, but then the whole booking of Crews has seemed a bit odd, and um, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure where they're going with that character. I don't think they're really sure where they're going with him either, because they brought him in uh, right after WrestleMania, and uh, he got a couple of high-profile wins uh, on on Raw. I think like like three or four straight wins he rattled off. And then um, he went to the witness protection program. Everyone was like, I don't know where this guy went. Uh, Apollo, hello, uh, you know, Earth calling Apollo Crews, and he was gone. And then he comes back, and he has this match with Chris Jericho. And, and, and that's the other thing, too, is, I mean, I like Chris Jericho personally. I like his character recently. I mean, I understand, like, you haven't been happy with his in-ring work and stuff, and I think there's an argument to be made there. But, I mean, I like the fact that he's calling people a stupid idiot. And I like the fact that Chris Jericho is around, but Chris Jericho should be a special attraction. I mean, he's a former six-time world champion. There's no reason why Chris Jericho should be on Raw wrestling Apollo Crews, especially a night after he has a 30-minute cage match where he takes bumps on thumbtacks, which, again, is my whole point about talent being overexposed. I mean, Chris Jericho working less means more. I just think maybe his time's coming up soon, and that's why – WWE wants to get um, as much out of them as they can. So, uh, overall, your feeling on Raw, uh, you know, summing it all up. I mean, oh, one other segment we got to hit on real quick, too, is uh, Charlotte uh, taking her, her father out behind the shed and shooting him. How would you feel about that? 
Well, that, that was quite a fascinating um, angle and segment, wasn't it? Um, yeah, she completely buried her father, um, you know, said he was never there, was never a real father, um, you know, Flair. So that was a shoot? Well, it, it must have been because, um, <laughs> you know, he, he certainly wasn't, you know, father of the year by his own admission. And, uh, you know, he certainly wasn't there a great deal when his kids were growing up. So I think a lot of the comments actually had a, a fair element of truth to them. Um, I, I mean, in, in real life, I'm sure that their relationship is very good these days. But uh, certainly in terms of her childhood and growing up, she would have seen a great deal of her father because he was on the road um, working matches and um, doing lots of other things that, you know, he she probably wouldn't want to know about. But, um, yes, it, it was quite an interesting way to remove Flair, Ric Flair from Raw. And it looks like he, he might be gone for a while. Um, which is a shame. I mean, I, I kind of enjoyed him in small doses. Um, he came out there, did his silly dance to his daughter's entrance theme, um, wooed, uh, but that, that was good. But I can understand why they're removing him because um, he clearly overshadows Charlotte. Um, but that said, I, I actually think Charlotte is one of the top two heels in the entire company now. Um, she's so good as a heel. She's a true I, heel. I'm actually starting to dislike her now because she's that good. Um, yeah. You know, she, she's so dislikable, so obnoxious. Um, you know, even if you admire her talent, you almost can't help but dislike her because she's so good at performing her role. So, you know, th and there's not many guys or girls in the WWE that you can say that about. So that's really credit to her. And I think she's really taking the division um, to new levels now. Uh, really enjoying her run as champion and uh, long may that continue at least until SummerSlam when my girl Sasha can de defeat it for the title. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you might have to duke it out with Brad Gilmore over which uh, one of you can claim her as your girl. Has he moved on from Nikki now? <laughs> I think he has, you know. I think he's he's oh. now publicly declared his uh, his love for Sasha Banks as well. I think, he, you know, he, he claims to be a man of, of of many women so we got to get him back on this podcast uh here in the not too distant future so he can expand upon that because yeah. i'm sure he's going to try and spread his love between the two of them which is you know on the subject of nikki bella by the way i, I think she's done i mean i we've 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 heard some rumblings about this and um you know after her having her neck surgery and whatnot but um i don't i, I think we've seen the last of the bellas in, in wwe i really do yes um I can't see Brie coming back. I mean, she's obviously intending to make babies now with Brian and uh, with Nikki Bella. I mean, she's got no reason to her. I mean, certainly not a financial reason because her boyfriend makes many, many millions per year and will continue to do so uh, for the foreseeable future. So, you know, financially, they're all well set, all of them. And uh, I, you know, Unless, I mean, she's got any burning desire to get back in the ring, I think it might be all she wrote for, for both Brie and Nikki. Um, but, yes, it, it's, it's a shame in a way that their careers have ended in that kind of way um, with injuries and whatnot. But, um, you know, that, that, that's the nature of the wrestling business, I'm afraid. So Yeah, it is. But, uh, you know, I got to agree with you on Charlotte in summary. Uh, I, I, I think she's tremendous. I think she's the most multi-layered female character that's been on the roster in a very long period of time. I mean, 
You know, when, when, when you think about some of the top female wrestlers or divas or whatever you want to call them, past or present, uh, that have come through the door at WWE, you know, some of the first names that come to my mind are people like Trish Stratus and Lita. Um, Charlotte, for me, in terms of talent, uh, is right there. And then I feel like she has so much more to offer on the microphone as well. Uh, I, I think that she really could be a transformational figure for this women's division and really open the door to a, a tremendous period of success for other female athletes in WWE. And um, I have no problem with her carrying that title for a much longer period of time or multiple times. And, and I think she will. I'm very, very confident that she will, actually. Mm. So um, with that being said, let's move on and talk about what's coming the day after Monday. Later this July, July the 19th on the USA Network, Monday Night Raw will be followed up by live SmackDown. This announcement was made earlier this week that WWE will be going live with SmackDown on Tuesday nights. And in addition to that, there will be the much-rumored brand split. It has been confirmed. Raw and SmackDown once again will have its own rosters. Mo, when you heard this news made official, what were your initial impressions and your reactions? Excitement. <laughs> You know, I've been calling out for a long time, well, for quite a few months now, that WWE really needs to do something um, quite significant to freshen up its product because it's been really suffering and um, struggling because of its lack of creativity and for various other reasons that we've talked about on numerous occasions on this pod over the last few months. And WWE has decided that this brand extension, going back to what they had um, a few years ago, is that big bang that it needs to revitalize its on-screen product. And the fact that they've even acknowledged that the product has been poor in their segments with Stephanie and Shane, um, in their kind of bickering back and forth, um, shows that the company even itself acknowledges that their on-screen product is in need of improvement. I think that this has got incredible potential. And the reason for that is um, if, if the brand extension is done right, then they can, in, they can increase their fan base um, quite significantly. Um, but to do that, they need to have quite distinct products. And that's where they need to really... Um, show that they've learned a lesson from the previous brand extension where Raw and SmackDown, even though they had different rosters for most of their uh, periods of Raw and SmackDown being separate, um, the products were not all that dissimilar. And the looks, the pr presentation, the formatting were very, very similar between Raw and SmackDown. Uh, for this to really work, I think they need to go with a very distinct identity for SmackDown as compared to Raw. And if they do that, then, you know, they could have a real winner on their hands. And the evidence for that is right there in front of them with NXT, because NXT has got a very different and unique vibe as compared to the main roster. And so it has a certain cool factor about it. And as a result of that, when the hotter acts from NXT come up to the main roster, most of the time when they debut on the main roster, the reaction is absolutely overwhelming. It's fantastic. And I think that the WWE can achieve a similar dynamic 
um, by having Raw and SmackDown as distinct and different types of products. And it doesn't necessarily mean that one has to be um, a sanitized PG product in Raw and SmackDown has to be um, like Attitude Era Light. That, that's not necessarily the case. Um, but by doing different things with both sides, um, they can create that distinction between the two. And if they do that and try and keep them separate, then I think they're on to a winner. And there's a huge amount of possibilities with that. Yeah, agreed. Um, you know, one of my first reactions uh, when I heard this news is what does this mean for NXT? You know, you talk about being a distinct brand that stands on its own. That's what NXT has been for the last year and a half or so. And then Triple H, a few hours ago, tweets this out. On June 8th, live on the WWE Network, hashtag NXT TakeOver, the end. Where do we go from here? Been a lot of reaction to that. What do you think about that, Mo? Is this the end for NXT? Is it a new beginning for NXT? Does NXT become just a developmental brand again? Because SmackDown... I think is going to be comprised of a lot of talents that are currently in NXT. And that doesn't mean they can't build new stars there again, but they've built something very special in NXT in the last two years. And now this happens. Well, that's right. You do have to wonder about the future of NXT. Absolutely you do. Um, there will clearly be a need for more um, NXT talents to move over. And that that's a good thing in a way because the likes of Samoa Joe and Finn Balor, Hideo Itami and others – are more than ready to step up to the main roster and um, add um, their own value to the main roster. Um, will that leave the NXT roster depleted? Um, I don't think it will, actually. Um, the reason for that is they've been on an ambitious recruitment drive, bringing talent through, and um, you know we see that there's a lot of people in NXT that barely appear on television, and so it will allow those individuals that we see very little or hardly ever um, more exposure on NXT and um, that will then allow WWE to recruit more um, talent from around the independent scene to come into the NXT system uh, to make the numbers up there and um, I think it will be good all round I think it will be NXT will still continue to be a strong cult favourite Um you know, they might have to slightly rein back on their um, touring of around the United States and abroad. Um, but in terms of continuing as a weekly product on the WWE Network, I certainly don't see why they need to stop with that. And uh, I think that with Raw and SmackDown, it's just about getting the dynamics right. If they repeat the mistakes of the previous brand extension, then you have to say, well, what is the point of doing it? They need to have uh, a good reason for doing it. And there needs to be a purpose to it. And it needs to be done in a very smart and well thought through way. If it isn't smart and well thought through, then they might as well not even bother. And you so know, that, you, you bring you bring up a good point. And um, this is one of the questions from our mailbag that we're going to get to here in a few minutes. But it hits on the point that you're talking about right now. So I want to pose this question to you. This comes from uh, Stephen J. 17 Sutton. Uh, at SJ Sutton 5150 on Twitter. He's a regular listener of the show. And Stephen asks this question, Mo. Will the company have learned from previous drafts? So will they learn from the mistakes of the past? And what are some of those mistakes? For, from my perspective, the biggest mistake was 
um, cross-pollination uh, between Raw and SmackDown. And so on the one hand, WWE was talking about, well, Raw and SmackDown, they are separate. And yet increasingly, as time went on, we would see more and more individuals appear uh, on both Raw and SmackDown, which almost defeated the whole purpose of the two brands being distinct and separate. So for me, they need to stay as far apart as is possible. And that then leads to the discussion about, well, what about titles? Do we have one title across both brands or do we have separate titles for both brands? And there's been a lot of debate online about that. And um, I know that you are of a certain view about how many titles there should be in terms of the main title, i.e. one. I actually think that to make the brand extension work, um, there has to be two. Wow. Wow. That's something that's that's definitely <laughs> that's definitely an area where we we don't agree on that at all. And there are there are some questions regarding uh, where we weigh in on that. Um, so we're going to wait till the mailbag to get to that, because uh, okay. I think we can have an interesting discussion about it. Uh, one other thing that I want to bring up very quickly is, um, well, two things, actually. Number one, there are there's talk that the draft could be possibly a network exclusive. How do you feel about that? Would you rather the draft be on that? live debut of SmackDown, or do you think it being its own network exclusive would be better for WWE and for the fans? Well, if they want to get maximum impact, it should be on mainstream television, um, whether it's Raw or SmackDown or even both. They can spread it over two days on the Monday and the Tuesday. Um, but if they want to bump up their subscription numbers, then put it on the network. But I just think that would be a short-sighted thing to do um, they really need to create as much interest and intrigue in this as possible. Um, so to achieve that, for me, it has to be split over Raw and SmackDown um, in that week in July. You know, I, I actually like the idea of having it as a network exclusive, and I'll tell you why. Because here here in the States, uh, the NFL draft is one of the more watched sport sporting events in the spring. Um, it's, you know, it's not even a sporting, I think it's a sports related event. It's not an actual competition or anything, but, um, if they set something up similar to that, where they gave away tickets and they invited fans to come and they had, uh, the respective general managers drafting their picks and they set this thing up similar to the way the NFL sets it up or the NBA for that matter. Uh, I think it'd be something that would be fun to watch. It would be interesting. You know, I remember a few years ago when the network first began, they were doing these mock press conferences after pay-per-views. Now, th those were kind of awkward, and they really didn't work all that well. But I understand where they were going with it. And I think it wasn't the idea that was a failure. I think it was the, the delivery um, of that idea which failed. So I think it's something to consider. I think if they did, they did it the right way and in that format as a network exclusive, um, I think it would be something that would be fun to watch. And, I mean, they give, the way, they give away the network all the time anyway. Uh, so it's not like new fans or people who are not subscribers of the network couldn't sign up for a free month and be able to watch it that way. Um, we've got some other questions in our mailbag regarding this brand split. So we're going to get to them right now. Thanks to everybody for participating and listening to the show. As always, if you want to get your questions or comments in, uh, you can tweet at the show anytime at PW underscore index on Twitter. That's PW underscore index on Twitter. This is a regular listener of the show. Manthar Buhindi, and he has two questions, actually. So I'm going to rattle both of these off, and then uh, we'll discuss them. The first question is, 
Have you noticed that Raw hasn't been closing the show with a WWE Championship now three weeks in a row? I know you touched on this a little bit earlier, Mo. Uh, what are the reasons behind this, do you think? Other than uh, perhaps them trying to protect Roman Reigns, is that the is that the only reason, you think? No, I don't. I think that they're looking to um, create interest in other aspects of their product. Um, and what we saw the other week was... Um, uh, uh, the I think it was Charlotte and Natalia's kind of contract signing prior to Extreme Rules as a final segment on Raw, and you know that's part of their efforts to elevate the status of the women's title and the women's division, and um, you know the intention clearly is ultimately to have a women's match headline one of the pay-per-views, and I'm sure that that will happen um, if not this year, then certainly next year. And uh, that that would be a great thing to see because we saw how wonderfully that worked on NXT with Sasha and Bailey last year. So I think there are other reasons as well, um, but I think certainly damage control in protecting uh, Roman is, is one of those reasons too. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, uh, Monther, I think the primary reason, if not the entire reason, is to uh, protect Roman. I, I really do. I I, I don't. It, the, the world championship, the WWE world heavyweight title or the world title of whomever's respective promotion or company, to me, needs to be the focal point of your show, especially when you're going into a pay-per-view regarding it. They went they, they closed their go home show to extreme rules featuring the McMahons and uh, Natalia and Charlotte for the women's championship, which was fine. I mean, I, I thought, thought that was great. I want the women's division to have more attention. I want it to grow. I want it to be successful. Uh, there's a lot of tremendous female athletes on the roster, and they deserve that opportunity. But the WWE World Heavyweight Championship should be the focal point of the show. And not only are they not closing the show with the WWE title, but as we saw coming out of Extreme Rules, it was featured in the opening program of the show, and it was barely mentioned, if at all, for the rest of the show. The WWE champion didn't even speak on a microphone. I think that's a big problem. And I, and, I, and I don't think – I think – listen, I think Roman, in a sense here, is being set up by WWE to fail, even though WWE is not doing that intentionally. What they're trying to do is they're trying to protect Roman because they've, they have chosen Roman. They have anointed Roman Reigns, as we all know, to be the standard bearer, to be the next Cena. As I said, Samoan Cena, that is who Roman Reigns is. But if they don't allow Roman to be organic and authentic with the crowd and the audience – then not only is he not going to get over with the folks that he should be getting over with, but he's going to be despised even more by the hardcore members of the fan base. And I think in the long term, that's going to be damaging to Roman Reigns' character, regardless of his performances in the ring. We'd be having a very different conversation, I think, about Roman Reigns right now if Roman had turned heel at WrestleMania and had those types of performances that he had against AJ Styles. Because no one can deny that what AJ and Roman did for the last two months has been great television. They've had two damn good matches. But we're not talking about Roman Reigns' work in the ring nearly as much as we're talking about how WWE is portraying Roman Reigns. And that is damaging to Roman's character, in my opinion. And, and the whole irony of it is, is if they had turned him heel, um, I think there's a fair chance he would actually be getting cheered at, th at this moment in time. I agree. Because that's that's how the fan base is. Um, 
You know, if they if if Roman Rangers going out there and acting cocky and putting the fans down, much like Rollins did on Raw, um, I think the fans would actually be giving him a far more positive reaction. But then the WWE again is worried about this this larger fan base of you know children and thinking, well, we can't have our world champion um, go out there cussing the fans and then still market towards our eight-year-old audience. Um, you know, that, that's the mindset in the WWE at this moment in time. And you know what's uh, – and you talk about irony. Here's what's ironic for me, Mo. I've gone to enough live events over my time. Hell, I work at a live event every single month. Yep. What I've noticed is that from all the WWE live events I've attended over the years, that the ratio of children to adults seems to be higher in favor of children at live events that are not filmed or shot for live television as opposed to – the live television events that seem to be more adult oriented in terms of the number of people that sit in the seats. And I'm sure there are numbers on this, which can prove my theory. And my point is that at those live events, you tend to see performers go off script and, 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 and go outside of their character and be more experimental with the way they interact with the crowd and the way they work in the ring. Now you would think you'd want that to happen for a more adult audience instead of a child friendly audience. When in fact, exactly the opposite is occurring. Well, that's right. Um, you know what we typically see is that, you know, the TV tapings, whether it's Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views, taped on Sunday nights, Monday nights, which are not ideal for parents to take their children out to uh, arenas until um, you know 10 p.m., 11 p.m. when they've got school the next day. Uh, whereas the live house shows and non-TV tapings are you know, centered around weekends, you know, Thursday nights, Friday nights, Saturday nights, and parents will take their kids in much greater volumes to those live shows. And as, as WWE uh, producers will tell you, uh, Roman's reactions at those shows are much more stronger than at the shows where they've got more adults and they're taped. Um, so that's, again, goes back to this whole two audience thing. And the WWE is very much focused on um, those that attend the house shows or those that they perceive as being similar to that fan base who sit at home and watching TV um, and much rather cater to them than to um, the adult, predominantly male audience who attend the tapings. Yeah, 100%. 100% agree with you on that. Um, here's the second part of the question that came from Munther. He said, also, Cody Rhodes, not rated by Vince, Triple H, and Creative. It's a shame. Seems the same regarding AJ Styles with his losses. So I guess that's a, a three-part question um, or suggestion or comment. But uh, anyway, so let's let's dissect this a little bit. We'll start with Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes earlier this week asked for his release. In addition to asking for his release, he gave people like you and I, Mo, who like to talk about this stuff, uh, uh, some real red meat. Uh, one of the things that really stood out to me were some of the comments that he made about writers within WWE – he said that for some time he wanted to get away from the Stardust character and was pitching a return of Cody Rhodes to some of the uh, the writers backstage. He said that um, uh, the, these suggestions fell on deaf ears, basically. He said one of the writers was um, was basically sitting backstage not doing anything on his cell phone all the time. He said the other one – this is an exact quote – was too busy, too busy hitting on developmental divas, end quote. Uh, to return his uh, his emails, his pitches, to have face-to-face -face encounters with them. He said they were acting too big league for him. 
uh, and clearly uh, weren't weren't interested. Um, he also said that he had a moment where he was sitting in the Greensboro Coliseum, uh, the same building, and in the same locker room where Ric Flair had dressed before um, his uh, career-changing moment at Starcade 83, the Flair for the gold. And he said, you know what? I was feeling very whimsical about all this. Um, he said, I'm not Dusty Rhodes. I'm Cody Rhodes. I'm a pro wrestler, and I'm proud of that. This is an exact quote. It's been said never to leave money on the table, but no money is worth being less than you are. This is what he said. He goes on to say, ask my wife. I didn't even read the check breakdowns. This was never about money. This was always about the moments, and I'll be damned if my father's legacy is stardust or a series of sizzle reels for NXT. It's not my job to pick up his sword. It's my privilege. And then he went on to talk about some of the people that he will miss, but he said, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And uh, basically signed off. So uh, what are your thoughts on Cody Rhodes giving WWE notice and uh, his overall legacy? Well, um, I think we're going to have to disagree here, I, I suspect. Um, Uh-oh. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I never was a big fan of Cody Rhodes in, his, in terms of his WWE career. I didn't really think he offered a huge amount um, I thought as a character, um, somebody who, with acting abilities, because bear in mind, he did try to break into, I think it was Hollywood before he decided to become a wrestler. Um, so he had some of that. And on the mic, he's fairly comfortable as well. In the ring, he never, ever impressed me. Um, I thought he was quite a limited worker, in fact. And um, he, 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 was, he was never somebody who, who really impressed me a great deal. And... You know, he was not somebody I ever particularly pushed for as somebody that WWE should do more with. Uh, so the fact that he's going, for me, is no big loss. I won't really miss him. Um, I hope he has his uh, success um, and achieves his uh, legacy as he thinks it should be um, elsewhere. But um, WWE, I think, won't miss him either. And uh, his... his his big thing, you know, was about, well, okay, if I had been Cody Rhodes, if I had been myself, I might have had a chance. But I think the WWE actually gave up on him probably a good five or six years ago and decided even back then that this guy was only a mid-card talent um, because of his limited in-ring ability. And since then, the WWE's focus on in-ring talent is significantly different than what it was then. Um, now you really have to be able to go in the ring and some of the talent that they've got coming through with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and the like, um, you know, he simply isn't anywhere near that level. So for me, it, it's no big loss whatsoever. You know, I, I, I got to disagree with you on this. I mean, n number one, I was a fan of Cody Rhodes's work. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you something. Uh, in my mind, just because WWE may have given up on him five or six years ago, which I don't agree, I, I don't disagree with you on. Um, I don't think that that speaks to what Cody Rhodes brings to the table um, as much as WWE making a mistake here. Uh, you know, this guy was given chicken salad or made, given chicken shit, made chicken salad out of it, especially with Stardust. And, uh, you know, some have said, well, Stardust was his idea. And perhaps it was because it was Cody's way of trying to reinvent himself so he could get back on television. Um, and he went ahead and he did that. And uh, it was a compelling character, to be honest. I mean, did it move the needle for me long term? No, but it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't what Cody wanted to do in the first place. 
What Cody wanted to do was continue his father's legacy and be successful in business. Sometimes, you know, when you get caught up chasing ghosts, uh, that, that could be a mistake. But I, I think back to legacy, and I think back to that moment when, when Randy Orton attacked Dusty Rhodes, and Cody sort of stood there festering and upset, and the fans started chanting Cody. And they had that real moment for Cody Rhodes. And the WWE dropped the ball on that. And I remember the WrestleMania, uh, leading up to the WrestleMania that year, and the press tour that was taking place. And of legacy, everybody, including John Cena, when he was doing interviews, was talking about Ted DiBiase. They asked John Cena in a radio interview, if you could work with one person at the upcoming WrestleMania, who would be? He's talking about Ted DiBiase Jr. Nobody was talking about Cody Rhodes. But Cody Rhodes emerged from legacy a far bigger star than Ted DiBiase did. Now, of course, we're, we're grading Cody Rhodes on the Ted DiBiase bell curve. I'll get that. But the full intention of legacy was not to get Randy Orton over. It was to get Ted and Cody over. But, of yep. course, Randy Orton, who was a multiple-time world champion and a huge star, was the one that ended up getting over most of all in that thing. And I don't think that's Cody's fault as much as it was. He's just working with Randy Orton. But I think Cody brings a significant amount to the table. I was a fan of his work, and I think WWE could have done a lot more with him. Now, is WWE going to miss Cody Rhodes? No, I don't think WWE is going to miss Cody Rhodes. I mean, I'm not going to say WWE is going to lose any money over Cody Rhodes' departure at all because they weren't using him in the first place. But I am disappointed that he's not going to be with the company anymore. And uh, I think if he decides to go to Japan, uh, or anywhere on the independent scene, for that matter. I think there's a lot of money uh, that's sitting on the table waiting for him. I mean, I, I already know this to be a, a, a fact that Damian Sandow, uh, who is taking bookings right now, stands to make a lot of money on the independent scene for the rest of the year. Uh, and if Damian Sandow is going to make a ton of money on the independent scene, I know for a fact that Cody Rhodes will. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, he can make good, good money for quite a few years, actually, just off the back of his stint in the WWE and you know there are guys that have been away from WWE for four or five years who still make good money in fact there are people like the honky top man um, you know who's been gone from WWE for a quarter of a century who still make good money from the w, uh, from the independent scene <laughs> when so, you say a quarter of a century it sounds so long <laughs> <laughs> that's the most and he's funny. still working too you got he a lot still around. Talk, man yeah absolutely oh um, but no, it's it's one thing I've got to say about the situation is that I do admire his guts to say, okay, I'm in a comfortable position. Uh, WWE isn't looking to get rid of me. Um, I'm making pretty decent money, um, but I want to leave because I feel there's contentment out there elsewhere, which I just can't achieve here. And you know that's becoming a bigger thing now because this is not an isolated issue. We've seen it with. Um, others in the last few weeks um, where talent like Bad News Barrett have said, actually, I'm not happy here. And, you know, what we're hearing is that, you know, this this is actually quite common amongst talent, that there's a lot of frustration and that the kind of comments that Cody's mentioned in his write-up saying writers are ignoring him is certainly not isolated to him. That, I think, is um, happening quite a lot. And I, I don't think it's necessarily fair to say that um, the writers are fully to blame because bear in mind, all these writers report back to 
um, two or three key individuals, you know, your Kevin Dunn's, Vince McMahon, Stephanie, Triple H, and, you know, they receive instruction from them. And, you know, if the likes of Triple H and Vince want to push talent and want to do something different, then I think those writers will be all ears. Whereas if the instruction is, okay, well, that person there, we see them at this particular level and they can't go above that, then, you know, the writers have to do what they have to do. So, you know, I, I have a bit of sympathy for the writers, which I don't often say, um, and I think that's part of the reason why Cody was being ignored. But, yes, I, I think that kind of frustration is certainly not um, uh, something that Cody felt in isolation. It's something I think that's more common than people might realize. Yeah, and I think it speaks uh, it speaks to the uh, original argument that I've made before about the the lack of authenticity in the product. I mean, there are a lot of people. I mean, listen, they're all they're all creatives. You know, when 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 you're creative and you work in the entertainment business and you achieve any level of success at all, uh, for the most part, there's some ego that comes along with that too. So sometimes you think you're you're more capable uh, of something than you really are, or other times perhaps you are and you're not being granted the opportunity to you know to to paint what you want to paint on, on the specific canvas that WWE is giving you. And I think that's where that level of frustration is coming as well. You also have all this young talent that uh, is in NXT that is now going to be called up, I'm sure, uh, for this brand split and a whole host of other issues as well. So, um, But I, I am sad to see Cody go. And, and although you and I may not agree on, on Cody, I'm sure we both can agree that we're sad to see Eden Styles go. Uh, as well. Oh yeah, God! Yeah, I saw her live, and goodness! That oh, I saw her right. live as well. Mesmerizing, I gotta yes. say. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure Lillian Garcia is gl- uh, glad that she's gone. So, <laughs> less competition. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Next up is a question from Ike at Illini Hockey Three on Twitter. Ike, a regular listener of the show, thank you for your question. Ike, he says the WWE totally botched the club debut slash storyline can this thing be saved and if so how how do you feel about this i have my opinions on it but i'll let you shoot first mo okay i think that this is a situation where fans were expecting something that was never going to happen which is the bullet club all debuting on mass um, aj gallows anderson Finn Balor, all together, maybe one or two others. Um, Tamatonga has been rumoured. Um, you know, another Bullet Club member is perhaps joining WWE. And um, I don't think there was ever on the cards. I mean, for a start, Bullet Club, or if you want to call it Balor Club, whatever, um, you know, Bullet Club rights um, trademark is owned by New Japan. And uh, WWE had no intention of bringing that over. Um in terms of whether the angle's been botched, I don't think so. I, I think that they've actually handled Gallows and Anderson pretty well, and they already come across like uh, uh, a pretty overact. I mean, their reactions have been pretty good. Um, yes, they have lost a couple of times, but as we've talked about on several occasions in recent weeks, you know that that's par for the course with the WWE. Parity booking, everyone has to have wins and losses. Whether that's right or wrong is a different matter. Um, that's just the way of the WWE these days. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, there's plenty of time uh, for that whole unit to really come on stronger later in the year. Um, certainly as AJ um, starts to ch- change um, in terms of moving back down to the mid card before coming back into a headline position, 
Um, so I think that his, his friends will come up with him. And, um, you know, we, we actually saw a bit of uh, more of a heel side to AJ on Raw uh, this past week. Um, so I think we might start seeing a bit more of that you know, tweener act- uh, kind of attributes to him. You know, I, it's it's fascinating you point that up because on uh, my daily podcast, uh, I brought that up with Brad a few days ago on, uh, on Yodem. I said um, I saw that heel side come out of AJ Sunday night in his match with Roman when he was beating the shit out of him with the steel chair. Yep. And then on Monday night, he had a moment in the ring with um, with Gallows and Anderson where he motioned to the crowd and said something to the effect of, I don't care what they have to say. Indeed, that's right. Which, uh, uh, which, which again, was, was pretty interesting. Um, so there, there is a shift here, but it's, it's interesting that they would make, and they've also been working in on commentary that AJ has been bitter. So they're not saying that unless they're being fed that because they're going another direction with AJ's character. But then why split him away from the club? Who is already a heel faction? Uh, so I, I think that I think Ike's on to something here. I, this is where I think I'm going to have to disagree with you, Mo. I think WWE, to a certain level, has botched how they've handled this thing. And if the if the the long term solution or the long term plan was to have Gallows and Anderson uh, join forces with Finn Balor, then in my mind they should have came in with him from the very beginning. I mean, imagine a scenario where uh, Hall and Nash make their debut on Nitro, and within a few weeks of debuting on Nitro, they lose a tag team match. I, I don't. I mean, I understand the parody booking that exists in WWE, but there's a certain level of protection that you have to grant specific characters if you have a broader plan for them. The best example I can use is Brock Lesnar, who seemingly will never lose again. You know, and and and, and, I, and to a certain extent, I'm okay with that. I mean, I would have rathered. Dean Ambrose got the rub by Brock Lesnar because I don't think anybody would be saying Dean Ambrose isn't doing anything for me now. He beats Brock Lesnar. He's in, he's in another stratosphere today, you know. But, I mean, the same could be true um, for a future tag team like Enzo and Cass, for example, if they're finally the guys down the road that beat the club after they um, obtain the tag team championships, for example. So those are things where, I, you know, I say – if this is a product of parody booking due to overexposure, uh, I understand that, but I'm not happy with it. And so I think to a certain level, WWE did botch uh, the club here, especially if they decide to go heel with AJ. Then I think that's a, that's a real problem. Yeah. Um, our next question is from uh, the Anfield Trust at Anfield Trust on Twitter. Uh, he says, how difficult will it be for the WWE to find the right mixture of big stars and mid-card acts for both shows. So we're back to the brand split again. Uh, how difficult will it be for them? I mean, it's a little difficult for them to do it with one show. Now they got to do it with two. Well, I mean, it's something that almost is a pod in itself, isn't it, Matt? <laughs> um, <Get> it. <laughs> you know, to, to talk about whether they can get that right in terms of the mix of main event talent and mid-carders and the low-level talent, um, you know, we'd almost have to fantasy book the the draft and you know that's something that we talked about before we came on air um as something that we might want to do next week or the week after uh but i think there's now actually enough talent there if you'd asked me the question 12 months ago i would have said it's absolutely crazy to do a brand split because 
there was such a, a depth, sorry, a, a dearth of talent. Uh, no, that's the wrong word. Um, a lack of talent um, that could carry those positions. Whereas now um, they've elevated actually a number of individuals who are bubbling just under the main event echelon. And if they book him in the right way post brand split, um, I think they'll have more than enough talent. I mean, you don't need, you know, lots and lots of top main event acts. You only ever need maybe four or five or six per brand. And I think they already have there or thereabouts. I mean, you've got Cena, you've got Randy Orton, you've got Brock Lesnar, you've got Rollins, you've got Reigns, um, and you add a few others to that mix and you're okay. And then as we talked about, you know, they've got people to bring up from NXT who could easily become main event acts within a matter of weeks or months if they're booked in the right way. Especially, in on, especially on SmackDown, which I, yeah. I anticipate is going to be presented as sort of a younger a younger product, um, almost like NXT at Jace. Now, we'll see if I'm right or not, but I, I suspect that's what's going to happen. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's fascinating. Our, our, our old friend, uh, your old buddy and my old buddy, Dave Meltzer, um, <laughs> on the, uh, the Wrestling Observer was saying something to the effect of, uh, they anticipate Roman Reigns being the face of Raw and John Cena being the face of SmackDown. Talk about a way to uh, to piss off the fan base if they do something like that. So I'm not going to take it seriously. One reason, because Dave said it. Uh, the other reason, because I think it will be a younger show. But how do you feel about that? I mean, if they do go that direction, does that not in a way sort of defeat the purpose of doing this brand split? Um, not necessarily, no. Um I don't think that they'll have one show is more youth orientated than the other necessarily, even though I did say that they need to try and achieve distinction between Raw and SmackDown. Um, but given that a lot of the talent that are ready to come through from NXT, are not exactly many years younger than John Cena. I mean, Samoa Joe is in his mid to late thirties. Finn Balor is 34 or so. Um, you know, Nakamura is what, 36, you know, these are not spring chickens. These are, you know, wily veterans of the business now. And, um, so I, I don't see it quite being in that kind of way. I think there will still be some distinction. Um, but I actually think that Dave's right. I, I think that it'd be almost silly for Reigns and Cena to be on the same brand because, um, Cena has been the face of the WWE for the last 10 years. And, uh, now it's been Reigns whilst Cena's been out. So um, they clearly want to keep Reigns at that kind of level. And in order for that to work, um, they have to be on separate brands. So it, even if it's the other way around and if it's Cena as a face of Raw, Reigns as a face of SmackDown, um, I, I'm certain that they'll be separate uh, once the split happens. I hate that. If that if that's the case... And it would it would you know it makes sense to me because it's something WWE would do. I hate that. I absolutely hate it. But again, it goes back to the whole discussion about titles and you know if we're only going to have one champion um, that can jump between shows, then there's less of an argument to keep um, Cena and Reigns separate. Whereas if the intention is to have two titles, um, then it makes a lot of sense. Uh, for Reigns and well, well, let's get into that then. This is, uh, you know, and I want to thank everybody for their questions this week. Uh, we weren't able to get to all of them, uh, but this is the last question, and I've been saving this 
uh, for the end of the mailbag. It comes from Allie Thompson at T 13 on Twitter. Also a regular listener of this show and my other podcast, so thank you for your support, Allie. He says, where do you guys weigh in on this? Two world champions. So, Mo, I know we're going to disagree with this, so make your argument. Why is it good for the product to have two world titles? Okay, here we go. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Right. As I talked about earlier on, the big failing with the brand extension the last time round was this cross-pollination of talent fleeting between Raw and SmackDown, uh, which made it increasingly blurred in terms of the separation between the two. Now, the brand extension was almost like the WWE trying to um, make amends for botching the invasion angle all the way back in 2001, if you remember. You know, and if they'd got that right, then that would have made them huge money. Even to this day, they could have kept WCW as a viable separate brand that would have been um, successful even to this day, 15 years later. Oh, that invasion angle was all about Vince just burying WCW one last time. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they flushed down millions, if not hundreds of millions, down the toilet just for ego gratification. Um, but, you know, that that's Vince and the McMahons for you. You know, they, they will always do that. But, you know, the brand extension was their attempt to try and make that right and do it in the right way. And ultimately, it didn't work because um, it, it almost did to an extent in the earlier days when everything was separate. But then uh, the reason why it became blurred is because Raw's ratings were going down. They used to be up at around four and then they were coming down to three and you know, network executives in WWE were getting worried about that. So they thought, okay, we need to save our flagship show and bring in more talent from SmackDown. Um, so the reason why I think they need to keep everything separate is because, you know, there needs to be that distinction and separation. So if you come to WrestleMania and say, okay, this is the one time in the year when talent from both brands are going to compete against one another, that makes WrestleMania even bigger than it already is. Um, it would be a once-in-a-year event where you're not going to see Raw and SmackDown talent mix in the same way. And, uh, you know, you can have, you know, Raw, sorry, Raw and SmackDown matches on the same show at, like the SummerSlam and Survivor Series and Raw Rumble, um, but they won't necessarily have to be competing against one another. So that's my kind of vision for how to make this as effective as possible. And if they make SmackDown and Raw distinct in terms of presentation and production values, etc., um, and even with things like, you know, the Cruiserweight division, because we know that they're doing the Cruiserweight Classic or whatever it's now called, um, and bring in a Cruiserweight division in uh, maybe after July, then something like that could sit very well on a SmackDown, for example. And that can be one of its unique selling points over there. Um, but for it to work effectively, you have to have two separate champions, um, because if you've got one champion, then if they are programming with, they can only really effectively program with one talent at a time. So that means that that talent that's feuding with the champion then has to go across both shows as well. So again, it blurs the lines and it means that there's less impact um, around creating this extension in the first place. And that's why 
getting back to the question, I feel that there has to be two. I don't like the fact that there's two champions. I never liked it. Um, but if they want to make it work, then they've got to have two, I'm afraid. Uh, I think that's a great argument. But here's where we disagree. A couple of points. Number one, the stain of the lineage of the World Heavyweight Championship in the last few years before it was once again merged with the WWE title uh, at that pay-per-view, which was here in Houston, by the way, a few years ago between Randy Orton and John Cena. They acted like this never happened before, by the way. And they had to do that because they keep repeating history over and over and over again. And if they don't erase the last mistake that they made, then you'll remember that it happened before. Therefore, what they're doing this time is even less significant. That's the first reason why I'm not a fan of having two championships. The second reason is this. When the United States title was around the waist of John Cena, it meant something. When it went around the waist of Alberto Del Rio, it meant a little bit less. When it, ra- when it went around the, the waist of Kalisto, nobody cared anymore. And we've been looking at the U.S. title. We've been looking at the Intercontinental Championship, the tag team titles, all these things. You say they got to they gotta mean more. They got to be more significant, especially secondary titles like the U.S. title, uh, which um, has been on the pre-show. I mean, it's been, a, it's been a pre-show match for several special events or pay-per-views in a row now. So then you take these titles that already mean significantly less than both the company and the fans want, and now you add a second world championship. And then by doing that, you're not only devaluing titles on the roster, which already WWE is having a hard time presenting as meaning more than they actually do, but in addition to that, your WWE World Heavyweight Championship now means less. So now your top title means less, and the other titles mean less as a result. So that's one of the biggest issues. Another issue that you have as well is let's let's pretend for a minute that you're going to have um, you're going to wait until WrestleMania to have all these talents get together. Well, now you've opened Pandora's box because you've got one women's champion working one show. So is the women's division not featured on the other show at all? And if it is, does that mean you have two women's championships? So then do you not create two tag team titles again? So now you have four tag team titles uh, between two shows. And if you have a cruiserweight division on one show, are you going to have a light heavyweight championship on another? I mean, and this is the problem that they start running into is now you've opened Pandora's box. So we're not just talking about having two world heavyweight titles. If it's a true brand split, as you're suggesting that they have to do to make it actually work, then they're going to have to create separate titles and divisions across the entire platform of the show. And I, I don't to, think they to do. me, I think that's just too much. I don't think they do. Um, I think that they can have, for example, the women's division on Raw whilst having the cruiserweight division on SmackDown. Um, they can have two separate tag team divisions, which I think they can get away with because we've talked about at length in previous podcasts the um, great talent that sits on NXT that's ready and waiting and so eager to come up to the main roster. Um, So they can easily handle two separate tag team divisions with their own tag team titles for Raw and SmackDown. And, um, you know, with two different world champions, um, you've got a US title on one side, IC on the other. Um, You've got women's division on one side, cruiserweight on the other. And then you've got two tag divisions um, on Raw and SmackDown. You've got four sets of belts on each side, 
And that, I, for, for me, is an overkill um, for each brand. And it gives enough um, of a distinction for both brands, you know, not in terms of only production values, if they get that right, but also um, having the women's on one side and the cruiserweights on the other. Um, I, I think it can work really well. But the WWE has to prove that um, its track record of, you know, botching all the big opportunities that come each way um, can be reversed here and they can get it right for a change. Um, and I certainly hope they do. But um, for me, I don't, I don't think they necessarily need to duplicate every single title um, on each of the brands. Well, I mean, we'll have to see what they do. I, I have very little confidence that they'll be able to work this thing out in, in the image that all of us uh, think that they can, um, which would be exciting if they can actually pull this thing off. But let us know what you think. As you always do, tweet at the show at PW underscore index on Twitter. Does WWE need two world heavyweight championships to make the brand split work? It's been a fascinating discussion, a great discussion, and a lot of news covered once again on the index this week. Mo, before we get out of here, any closing or parting shots, anything you'd like to plug or tell the listeners about? Um, well, other than my book, which is still a work in progress, obviously, um, <laughs> I will get oh, we'll get it done one day. Uh, I'd like to put over a promotion called ICW, Insane Championship Wrestling. Uh, for those fans of ECW or the Attitude Era, ICW is for you. It's um, a very adult-orientated product, um, lots of profanity um, and, and other kind of risque stuff, which you won't see in the WWE. Um, but the reason I mention this promotion is... Um, this week, they've announced a deal with the Fight Network, um, which will bring their TV show um, to 30 countries around the world. Uh, it's a huge deal for them. And, um, you know, this is one of the hottest independent promotions in the world now, actually, because um, it, later in this year, in October, they're running the 13,000-seat SSC Hydro Arena in Glasgow, and um, all the expectations are they'll sell that venue out, which for an independent promotion to sell out 13,000 seats is incredible. Um, but, you know, yes, it is. And, uh, you know, they, they've got some fine talent like Drew Galloway, ex-WWE, Grado, who's, um, you know, currently a TNA star, um, who's very, very popular. Um, they've done fantastically well. Um, what Arguably the most popular promotion in Great Britain at this moment in time. Um, so congratulations to them, and um, hopefully their, their TV show will become more accessible um, on UK screens as well. It's available on their on-demand service, but hopefully they will strike a TV deal here too. That's awesome, man. That, that really is cool, and congratulations to them uh, for that. I mean, drawing that number of people for an independent promotion, well, let's put it this way, it's not those are numbers TNA's not drawing. Absolutely no one. <laughs> they'd, be, they'd be killing for that. So. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, good stuff. Um, well, listen, thank you to everybody for listening to the show and participating, as always, and supporting everything that Mo and I are trying to do here. And, of course, thank you to Gags for the platform, as always. Um, if you want to find out more about what I'm doing, you can go to matttopolsky.com. You can tweet at me anytime, at Matt Topolsky on Twitter. And um, in addition to that, we have some really cool uh, updates coming for Reality of Wrestling. We are growing, and I'm excited to be a part of this company We've done some really cool stuff in the last two years, but but I, I promise you when I say we're just getting started. So you can check us out on YouTube anytime. Just Google or go to YouTube and search Reality of Wrestling. 
Uh, every week we have brand new episodes, which air here in Houston first uh, on Sundays. And then on Tuesdays, there are always brand new one-hour episodes on our YouTube channel, uninterrupted by commercials. You get to see my beautiful face and uh, hear my commentary as well. Uh, and then I also have a podcast that I do five days a week with Brad Gilmore. It's called Your Opinion Doesn't Matter, and it covers sports, sports entertainment, pop culture, and all that stuff. And you can find it at opinionpodcast.com or look for Your Opinion Doesn't Matter on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, or check out fnx.network. Uh, they have our podcast on there as well as many other great podcasts as well. They're a great supporter of ours and a host of our podcast down there in Australia. So go check it out. Your opinion doesn't matter. That's it for this week. Thank you once again to everybody for listening. Thank you, Mo. And we'll be back next week with another exciting edition of PWI. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.